Hello and welcome to Here's the Pitch. Brought to you by Masters Restaurants. There's five locations in St. Louis. I'll talk about my sponsor in a little bit. Derek Gould is going to be my guest today. You know Derek. He's the beat writer for the Cardinals. Hi, Derek. Hi, Brad. This is exciting. You haven't been on yet. I think this is show 51. So I waited, oh, cool. I waited for Willie McGee's magic number here in St. Louis. Exactly right. Number 51. Yeah. So appreciate you coming on. Fan uh, favorite uh, number. Uh, I'll try to live up to the expectations here. I was going to say, you're probably like my 51st favorite beat writer. Yeah, that's that's, awesome. See, that's not even nice. No, no, that's true. No, how long, So you've been the beat writer for the Cardinals since... When, when did you get that, that assignment? I the started, beat writer one. I started covering the Cardinals in 04. Uh, became the... Uh, I don't know. I've had various titles along the way. I was backup. I was Cardinals beat writer for a while. Um, and then in 2000. Or after the 2012 season, um, right there, and uh, yeah, right at the end of the 2012 season, they changed my title to lead Cardinals beat writer. Interesting. I'm sorry. I was I was sort of the bullpen phone. In case people are wondering around the background noise, we're They're in the for Lance Lynn. <laughs> They're waiting for another. It's a that's, deep cut. Zemchinsky. Deep cut. I'm guessing that's part of your book. Uh, I said Zemchinsky. <laughs> uh, so you have a book that uh, you've put out, and yeah. uh, these 100. Things Cardinal fans want should do before should do or should know before they die. So these 100 Things books are, are big. Um, I love them. I think they're great because it's easy just to pick up, put down, uh, pick up a chapter, read through something that maybe you've never seen. Tell me a little bit about um, just how you got into this concept and uh, tell me some things about the book that uh, you want to tell people. Yeah, this goes back uh, more than a decade actually. Uh, you know, they started Triumph Books, which is now celebrating its 30th anniversary, but they started this hundred things series and it's spread from baseball to hockey to football you see them everywhere now you'll see them at airports you see them all over um but they had one um which i believe was on the mets yes on the mets and then they asked two of us um the lake cafardo of boston globe to do one on the red sox he was doing that and then uh, me on the cardinals um and they were like here's the keys to this notion take it where you want to go um, and so it was a real good chance to see if I could pull off a books. Um, and to be candid, it was an excuse to learn the minutia of Cardinal history at a time when it's like, look, if I'm going to do any good at this job, I need to have a real depth um, and appreciation for history um, at a moment's notice um, so I can kind of put things in context so I can uh, appreciate the history, which seems to be in the water here, passed on through the genes um, generation to generation. Um, I had grown up on stories of the Cardinals from my grandfather and stories of the Yankees from my father. So I had sort of a start, um, but this was a, this was a chance to really plunge in um, and also seek out new things. Like, could I find out, you know, some of the truths behind the legends? Could I find some of the legends who had been obscured through history? Um, things like that, you know, and, and so, uh, so I probably took too long to write it for the editors, um, but the reward was that I was able to get um, a lot of, like, you know, first-person stuff, like, in, you know, primary source stuff, where interviewed the late Bob Forsh, you know, um, about his no-hitters, talked to Kenny Reitz about the glove he lit on fire because he was so unhappy. Was this last year or just... No, no, this was while he was playing. Oh, okay, because he's a nut, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, because <laughs> while he was playing, he committed an error, and I guess he drowned his glove in kerosene and lit it on fire. And, uh, you know, I mean, all the all the 
all the little yeah. tiny legends that you've heard about. And um, so the book came out, you know, about 10 years ago. Um, and then they won the World Series in 2011. It gave us a chance to rewrite it and make it a freeze edition, if you will. Um, and then, you know, it, it been around for a while, and obviously things had changed. And the manager, a new manager had come and gone. Another pennant had been won. Yadier Molina had moved from, you know, an all-star gold glove to an iconic Cardinal. Uh, Adam Wainwright's career had blossomed and continued as, you know, a career-long Cardinal. Um, these new things had to be written about, and so... Um, or there was new stories to tell, and so they gave me a chance to expand on it, re- rework some of it, um, add new reporting to it, and, and maybe even look back at it with eyes that are, uh, you know, a little bit sharpened by the length of time I've had the opportunity to be around. Um, and that was really rewarding to kind of look at it um, and maybe write a little bit more nuanced um, s- stories that connected the history of the franchise, which we all know, to not just places you could do, um, but things you should know and how they are all connected. I really wanted to try to map Cardinal Nation and history, and that's what I set out to do. That's funny you said that because you, you said you wrote it in 2010 and then you had to update it. And it's amazing to me that, I mean, I don't know how many franchises could have as much history just in the last 10 years. And the fact that 2011 for me now is like my dad's 1964. Mm-hmm. We can talk about, now he's not alive anymore, but I know what he talked about happening in 1964 and to me it seems like 2011 was as close to 64 and it's my favorite thing that's ever happened and now I know that I don't think I'll ever see anything like that so it's amazing that you yeah. have that and I'll sprinkle in I'll have you sprinkle in stuff from the the, the, uh, the book but tell me a little bit about 2011 what you write about in David Freeze yeah I mean I just kind of recount that evening and um, write about you know a it didn't start off all that great i mean that was not a really great game if you recall i mean there was a drop foul ball but long before he was a hero uh david freeze was struggling to catch a pop-up in that game and just was an ugly sloppy game and then b you know sort of how it developed from there um you know tell the story of of freeze but also then you get to because i got to go back in and rework it right where he went next you know and that he didn't get to complete his career with the cardinals and then maybe it was best for both he and the cardinals for him to go elsewhere and kind of explore that part of it so um you know you have a hometown hero made good um you know a guy who is forever um you know an october legend which is when the crucible of when legends are forged for the cardinals um and he happens to be from their backyard um you know i mean that story writes itself i have to just basically get out of the way um it's one of those where you have the benefit of of hindsight of not writing it as it's happening so you can kind of look at it and summarize it i think you know it's interesting that like you bring up one of the one of the things that was a challenge sort of set forth um to me was when i was talking to mike shannon um just early stages trying to get a feel for maybe even what like hundred things there were just like hey what have you seen what have you seen and you, you just, you just chatting like with him eight stories after one question right. he will veer yeah. you into different well that was part of three. it yeah and uh but one of the things he said to me was that always kind of stuck was that you know every generation has a hall of famer every generation has a championship and that that it's it's not just the amount it's also just by happenstance how they're spread out you know there 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 are believe it or not there are generations of yankee fans who don't have a championship when they're youth they they were awful at for a stretch 
Um, they had all their championships like lodged into this one golden era, and then there was a dull, a lull, and then there was another one, and then there was a lengthier lull, and then there was you know a, a little pocket burst of championships as well. The Cardinals are more spaced out, you know, they twenties, forties, sixties, eighties, two thousands. So every generation has a championship and so like you can have yours and you can relate to your father's and your father's father had one and his father's father had one and his father's father had the first one where Babe Ruth was thrown out at second base and so I always kind of kept that in mind like so that's something that's unique and so I would pull out a yellow legal pad of paper and track you know how you judge generations and how they name them and did this one have a championship and then I also took out a yellow sheet of paper and did this timeline of all the hall of famers in uh in cardinal history and it's like yep there's it's uninterrupted there's you know there's not uh there's not a break well and you know and as long as tony la Russa was the manager there's not a break now is it yadier molina that carries it forward and then there's not a break um for going back to roger bresnahan you know which is a name most folks probably don't have at the tip of their fingertips but you know rather important member of cardinal history if for no other reason that he rescued a bunch of people from a train it's a good story i'm sure <laughs> yeah. In the book, right? yeah. yeah i mean yeah he and the cardinals rescued people from the train it's from it, a train that's, wreck that's, we'll look at the we'll look at the book to see that story i don't yeah. want to give anything away it's funny you said that because i have a stepson now who's 11 born in 2008 doesn't remember 2011 or 2013 and he says well this team doesn't go to the playoffs a lot what's wrong with these and I said, oh, you don't even understand. So yeah. they have to get working here. Tell me a little bit about 2019, your thoughts on the team. As we're going to kind of just – we're going to spitball here. I was going to leave no. that for the end, but 2019 very early. They hit a bunch, then they stop. They starting pitch a little bit, then they stop. But the bullpen looks pretty good. Give me your early, early, early takes. It's not even mid-May yet. Right, yeah, you're not even on Mother's Day yet, let alone Flag Day. The, uh, the, the Mike, Mike Claiborne approved – Date. Call me on June fourteenth. Uh, I do impressions on the podcast. Sorry, is it is that what the other fifty have been? So really, I'm your first guest. <laughs> I did Rich Little, then I did Frank Caliendo, and then we went back and just didn't. Yeah. Know. Well, I, this is not your impersonation of me. No. This is really me. I think I'm talking to Mike Schilt. By the way, you look just. I mean, it's amazing no, how much you look. You do. You do. No, you do. You do. Right. Same face, different glasses. 2019. Let's talk. He has more hair. <laughs> he does have more hair. Um, and you guys, it seems like you guys get along pretty well so far. <laughs> give us time, right? Versus, versus the last guy. Yeah, give us time. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the, known known Mike for a long time. And then that's in the book, too, you know, is, uh, is you can't write about the previous manager without writing that there's a new manager. So, um, you know, and that's actually one chapter, and it was a bit of a challenge to try to figure out how to, to bridge that, um, you know, that change. But the, they share um, – they share some traits. They're both uh, dipped in in cardinal red. Um, they both had very prominent uh, um, parts of their career with the Cardinals. Um, they both were handpicked by John Mozeliak in the front office for different roles. Um, both of them were groomed in different ways. And I will get to your 2019. But I but there are strong comparisons. And then there are, are also wildly different um, aspects of their career. Um, Schilt developed like a prospect um only in a manager role and you know Matheny given the keys um without any experience managing before but a highly successful career as a player and uh and a you know intellectual player um catcher who who earned a great reputation for how he could manage um teammates and manage pitchers um as a peer 
So, you know, you could see how there's a contrast there, and I think we see some of that. You know, I've known Schilt for a long time, um, and pretty much since he was hired. And, you know, one of the first guys that he signed, I remember, is one of the first drafts that I covered, and you reach out to him to talk to them about their, you know, the career and, hey, what, it, what you know, where are you excited when the car, what, where were you, all that stuff. Then that was Ali Marmol from the College of Charleston. So there was already, like, a reason. Like, I remember talking to Ali Marmol shortly after he was drafted, and now here he is, the bench coach. I remember talking to the scout that signed Ali Marmol, and here he is now the manager. So, um, you know, I think I think that length of time knowing each other and talking to each other and understanding that uh, we have very different jobs and very different places in this game, um, but we both have a shared fondness for this game um, and a curiosity for the game. So I think that that helps. At least I, I like to think so. I mean, yeah. you know, I think uh, I think I can I can always learn. That's him calling now. Um, I can uh, I can always learn something every day about this game, and I hope to. Um, I don't I don't come out here. I come out here to learn about the game, not to be told why I'm not worthy of learning about the game. And uh, and I, I like to have conversations about the game. Yeah, and I asked you about 2019, and I'll get, I'll into, get to it. And I'll, I'll get, get to it, it too. But I did want some. We did talk about the difference between Schilt and Matheny, and I think it was no. It's no secret that at the end, he. I think Tony Larusa said it. He insulated himself a little bit, and he was a little, kind of like the Spagnolo, the new type of managers who basically kind of feel like they need control of everything. I mean, he won a lot of games. Mm-hmm. He had the respect. He had some great teams here, but. Maybe burnout. What did you think happened there towards the end? He didn't have a good bullpen. He, I mean, people have to remember, as soon as they let him go, then they brought up all these new young arms that we see now, Ponce de Leon and right. Gomber and Dakota Hudson, and they traded Tommy Pham, and they made all these moves, and then the team went 21-5. So they, it wasn't really set up for him to do well, but just tell yeah, me your it thoughts. It was... He wouldn't he have used, had those guys. He wouldn't have used them exactly. He's he wanted Greg Holland, and then they brought in Greg Holland. And it right. didn't work. So he had a lot of things to say. But tell me a little bit about that ending for him and yeah. your, and your guys' relationship at that. You know, if you like. Well, I mean, it was professional. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I mentioned in the book, and I, I think this is a good way to to describe it is that he came in like just on the universal kind of media. He came in um, with instruction and with a a leaning to be distrustful of the media, um, and that eventually became a disdain of the media. I think that's the way to describe it. And that's, Good for him. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I mean... Like, I, I, mean I agree with those thoughts. I, I kid, I kid. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm, I'd, rather, I'd rather be judged on myself, you know, and if I, if, I, if I earn it, then awesome. You know, if I earn the disdain, then great. Then, I, then I'll wear it, and, and I did at times, and I'm good with that. I know it. Um... That's part of the job, and that's part of being, you know, a professional, right? You you know when you're they're not ever not here to be liked, you know. I'm here to I'm here for my job to be respected. That's my hope, um, you know, and for my um, my dedication and my work ethic. And you know, if somebody likes the way I write, that's fine. I understand that you know that writing sometimes isn't behind the holder, but I, I I don't want my you know, I'm out here to make sure that my, my professionalism and integrity is not questioned. And if you don't like what I do with it, that's that's fine. Whatever, not everybody's going to be happy. Um, and there may have been some of that. There were just different, just different people. You know, yeah. just different, different people, different approaches to things, and, and that's fine. I think what happened um, has very little to do with 
the conversations with the media and everything to do with, you know, losing at home was something that was was tr- troublesome for ownership. You know, they had six consecutive home losses. They had been a, you know, a beast at home until the most recent year and a half, um, and that's sort of been restored. Um, and then the, the, the really fractured um, communication that was clear. And, and in some, there were often times that, uh, that Matheny was candid about it and he was or honest about it. Uh, you know, I remember asking him about how he set up kind of a leadership workshop, a leadership council, and then it was like invitation only. And I asked him, like, well, what kind of message does that send to the guys that maybe want to be leaders but aren't invited? And he, a year later, a year later, 12 months later, said that that was a miscalculation on his part, and he recognized it. Um, didn't really recognize it when I asked about it, um, which, again, is just the, the nature of the, of the interaction. But, um, but to his credit, acknowledged it um, and worked to then try to, you know, be more inclusive. Um, I think you just saw some of the gifts that he had for connecting with players um, for gaining trust in players for, for um, I think connecting is the right word for, for, uh, for reaching out and finding a way to connect. You just saw some of that just shred. Um, and, you know, I don't know if, I don't think it was on purpose. I think it was situational. And, you know, that was costly in the end. You think, I mean, it just was such a, oh, the atmosphere was just so... Um, locked up and young players didn't know where they stood. Uh, a few young players didn't know what they had to do to play, didn't know why they were around if they weren't going to play. Um, there were just a lot more questions than they had answers, and there was no real way for either of these sides to turn to each other and uh, and reconnect. I remember having a conversation with David Freeze whenever uh, we were talking about Matheny one time, and he walked Matheny walked out of his office on his way to a workout, and David kind of looked start, like got tense, you know, and and I said, uh, "How's that going?" He's like, "You know, you just don't you don't want to disappoint him." And so you had this sort of these this group of guys who came up yeah. that had already been here and had Tony, so they didn't know what to think. And I guess as you stay here longer, your message wears. But my that doesn't have to. It doesn't. What we but, saw with Tony, it didn't. Right. He changed. He evolved. Right. And this is his you first know? time managing, so he maybe he learns it the next time out. Yeah. Uh, but my other favorite story about Matheny, because I like to tell stories on, on my own podcast. Impersonations and stories. I do, I'm going to do a Mike Matheny impersonation for you. He uh, worked at Fox Sports for West. I worked at Fox Sports for West. And he uh, was an I analyst. Used to work there. And you, were, you, you worked there, too. I had nothing to do with you not working there anymore. Oh, no, I it wanted was great. You, it was a great time. I wanted you to be part of the show at all times. But I had no, I had no prop part I of really that. I enjoyed it. Um, but you were on the pregame many times. I produced pregame. Anyway, so Matheny, his right, first, uh, he did one year. And he did pre- and post-games. And so that first pre-game he did, I decided, let's have some fun with Mike Matheny, right? Because we're going to – we're gonna. this is – my whole goal was to make the show fun. So we are playing the Padres, and we showed a couple highlights of him against the Padres, and then we showed his career numbers, which were abysmal. And Mike looked at him and goes, oh, well, that's a good way to welcome me to uh, this show. I can't wait to do these way more. So we get to break, and I go, Mike, I'm sorry. I thought you'd have some fun. He goes – well, I didn't find that so fun, Brad. And from there, it just never was fun. <laughs> it was yeah. just—it didn't seem like I didn't think he wanted to do much of that stuff. Um, and then when he got into the dugout, he didn't. I thought we, we thought he would understand the whole. You know, as a Fox Sports West, you're you're really trying to make this look good. We're trying every. We're, we're I mean, we're called team rights holders by a lot of people. We're cheerleading for you. We want to do things 
by you and make things easier for you. And I always felt like there was a disconnect there. So I like to tell that story, and I get to do a Mike Matheny impression. There you go. Yeah. Um, I mean, my role is different. Yes, and, definitely uh, different. And it, it can be adversarial. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. Um, and you just learn how to ask questions. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I learned or tried to learn how to ask a question that would get an answer, not show off for the cameras. Um, so, you know, that a lot of times that meant asking a foolish question that I knew the answer to. But because, you know, there are managers who like to correct reporters, really good quotes come from being corrected. And I'm cool with that. I can, I don't mind. Do you have a favorite, so we're speaking of managers, the bullpen phone's going off. I have to ask about Tony La Russa. Do you have a favorite Tony La Russa story? If that comes to mind, uh, you know, maybe one of the weird ones. Again, I'll have one, but I, I don't know if I'll tell <laughs> it here. Well, um, I mean, it, Tony was great uh, to learn from. I count myself very lucky to have uh, had. I mean, you think about it, when I started on the beat, it was Tony La Russa as manager, uh, Dave Duncan as pitching coach, Joe Strauss as the beat writer, and Rick Hummel as the national beat writer. And there are four pretty good people to be around every day to talk baseball with. I mean, I was, I was really lucky. Um, and learned so much because all of them were so giving of their opinions because they all had opinions, um, but also of their experience and their knowledge. And um, so, I mean, I, you know, Tony, I, I always appreciated Tony's uh, ability to um, maybe uh, capture a moment or at least capture attention in a moment and take it away from a player, you know, like, um, you know, I was almost hit by a shattered fungo bat, splintered fung- fungo bat, I should say, um, when uh, uh, National Network came in to do a story on Mark McGuire. And Tony, I think, realized that if he slammed his fungo bat at the questions that he was going to get, um, that that would become the story and not Mark not talking. And I was really, like, like ones I ducked and covered, I was very appreciative of the theater um, and the thought that went into it and the fact that, like, years later, he was willing to talk about it. I just, I, I the next days um, after games, especially games where something went upside down, um, either in a good way or a bad way, you know, anyway, but when they went upside down for somebody, the next day was going to be excellent because you got a chance to, like, just have, you know, graduate-level baseball talk with Tony La Russa um, and, you know, his kind of sardonic wit that was either going to – wasn't ever really self-deprecating unless it was deprecating towards yourself. Um, but, to, you know, he, he was going to spice it up, and I appreciated that. Or, like, like one day um, we're at spring training and the late Joe Strauss is like, I don't have anything to write. I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess I'll have to come up with – stir it up or something like that. And um, – and he goes to Tony La Russa. Up. Goes, that is a wonderful term for Strauss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he goes, uh, he goes. I guess I gotta find something. Do you have anything? No, you don't have anything. I better find something. And uh, and she so goes to Tony. He goes, you you think a left-handed bat would uh, look really good off the bench? Maybe one with, you know, a lot of experience, takes a walk, maybe has seven hundred home runs. <laughs> and Tony goes, you know what? We had we had dinner with Barry Bonds. I'm glad you brought it up. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. Like out of thi- but he but you know it's like Tony knew and 
Strauss knew that he knew. It just was like this like perfect concert of right question at the right time to the right guy on the one day that you didn't have anything. And now you have this amazing story of how eh, maybe they could get Bonds out of retirement just to be a left-handed hitter off the bench. Wasn't going to happen, but Tony at least was open to kind of lobbying through the media for such a thing. Well, he always used the media. I mean, Matt Holiday became a Cardinal because of Tony's lobbying. There's a lot more. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot more. And... and John Mosaic's long-term fascination with trying to get the guy, but yes, yeah, that's true. We got the, I got your cleanup hitter. What, yeah. Wasn't that the phrase? Yeah. What? So we know a lot of players are nice, but give me one of your favorite. Someone just getting sideways with you, just somebody that just did not enjoy. Probably in the past, so we can talk about them. But is there any been a time where you just said, "Wow, I had Fernando Vina kind of be weird with me," although we were always fine. But one day, I really made him mad. Oh, any anything. Everybody. Anything that really comes to mind for you, though, that that you always remember? No, not. <clears throat> um, like I haven't had like. I mean, I'm probably, I guess I probably have had. Um, I haven't had any of the lasting shouting matches. Um, like maybe I did covering hockey. <laughs> um, it might be the culture. Um, it might be my age. I don't know. It might be you know that I've gained more ap- apathy. Like I don't really care. Um, so I don't want like if you're mad at me, you're mad at me. That's cool. Um, I have you know I've had players tear into me over something that was written. I've had uh, sources get mad at me over something that was written. Uh, I recently wrote a story that I had to defend um, with an official not related to the Cardinals, but um, you know and they were not very happy. But I had to stand my ground, and I don't know if they'll ever talk to me again, and that's fine. Um, I'll uh, I'll. Finding a way around it. Um, I've had players not talk to me for half a season, for full season. Um, I have. There are a few players that, um, and I won't go into it, but there are a few players that I have no interest in talking to and will actively avoid. Um, they're not with the Cardinals. Um, so, Were they once? Yeah, uh, one of them was. Um, Why do you get a hate on Joe Thurston? I no, no, it wasn't Joe. No. Felipe Lopez. Okay. No, no. No, it wasn't. No. No, it was, it was it's something like, hey, look, you know, I mean, this is a professional work environment um you don't want to be professional and i don't really have time for that and i can choose not to have time for that um and you know uh i don't know you know i i mean i i think back to like you know shouting matches with the uh, hockey coach ron wilson because blues are playing the sharks so i'm thinking back to like the playoff series that i covered with the blues and the sharks and having to go into ron wilson's office and sort out our differences <laughs> um, because we just, you know, we've got a whole playoff series to cover, and we did not get along um, for probably the same reason because, like, I just wasn't – I thought he acted rather uh, um, juvenile during one exchange that we had, um, and I happily called him on it. That didn't go so well. And then that usually how it starts is – um, it's usually my fault because I'm a little more sarcastic um, than I need to be, and I have a terrible poker face. So if somebody does something that like I think is like unprofessional to somebody, I don't hide it. And then when I realize, oh, I'm caught, I fire back with sarcasm, and then it's just off. And we hate the sharks anyway. All right, 2019. Yeah. I don't think he's there anymore, right? That right was like now. 20 years ago. Probably probably their assistant GM or some sort of special. Great. So he'll listen to this and go, yeah, I still don't like that guy. Uh, Derek. Yeah. At Mike Schilt, I still don't like that guy. At one point in time. I'm managing the card. Oh, wait, that's Derek. One, time, one point in time, Ken Hitchcock and I um, had some leftover um, tension from when I covered hockey and he covered the Blues, or when A coached the Blues, and I got assigned to cover a Blues game. It was the same kind of thing. I met, I met with him and talked 
for a little bit. Yeah. I feel like he mellowed as a yeah, blues. Yeah, I, I would I imagine. The stars, I'm guessing, with the mustache, he was much meaner yeah, than yeah. he was with the blues. Yeah, and, and I did too. I mean, like, you know, you get comfortable in your skin, right, and go, all right, look, I've, you know, I mean, sometimes some of the riders go, like, uh, like I've done this for 20 years. I'm going to do it for another 20, I hope. You're, you know, I'll I'll be around when you're not, so why don't we just either try to get along or just go to our separate corners? Um, you know, there's a sign of a calmness that comes over you when you realize, okay, I'm pretty comfortable in my own skin, and I I'm, I ask bad questions. I own them. That's fine. Um, but I'm not going to be, I, you know, I hope you don't come across as a bad person. That's the worst. Yeah, you do a great job. We, I mean, we, you give us so much information. I don't even know how you do it, especially in the offseason. It's crazy. Uh, and then spring training, you guys, you guys do an unbelievable job. 2019, uh, let's go back to that. Sure. <laughs> but um, right now, I mean, outside of a little rough patch uh, at the beginning, a rough patch last week, um, you know, this team looks like they're going to hit, looks like they're going to pitch, looks like they might need some help starting. Um, but it looks like they have some of that depth that they can use again like they did last year. You just hope that they don't let Milwaukee or Chicago start running away with it, which they could. Um, just a thought uh, on the Central and then the Cardinals 2019 so far. I'd say, eh, B, B plus. Most complete team I've seen here in a long time. Um, I, well, I, you I can just throw the same lineup every situation. day, and it's not yeah. because of the manager. It really is you can throw that same lineup out. Right. But the and manager, it, the and man, it, last manager wouldn't do it, but. He might have. Who knows? You never I mean, know. Yeah. He didn't have a Paul Goldschmidt. It's true. That's true. You know? I mean, so I don't know. I, I, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on this one. That like, I mean, if he had the same lineup, he would have loved to have it. Um, he might have been – he might have been fickle with some of the recent stuff, right? Like, that's one thing that, like, you guys were in and out of the lineup if they didn't have a track record. But, you, you're, I mean, you're going to see Paul Goldschmidt, Matt Carpenter, and Marcelo Zuna in that lineup, too. Um, I think this is a very complete team in the sense that, um, you know, it uh, it has offense. It has depth of lineup. It has a um, no-doubt MVP caliber player to hit in the middle of the order. It has a guy who, when he's hitting well, is ferocious in Marcelo Zuna, a right-handed ferocious bat. Um, it, it really is – It's not. they're not the same players, but it really is the first time since they had Pujols third. That is one really long ring. Someone get the bullpen phone. Hey, Phil, answer that. It's not the, it's not the bullpen. It's video. Oh, video replay ballpark cam going to it wow we'll see if we leave that in or not well um you're gonna want to but it's really it's really as close as they have been since they had Pujols batting third and um you know uh uh Matt Holiday batting cleanup Ozuna is a a savage right-handed hitter who with power like Matt Holiday is a savage right-handed hitter with power maybe hits for a better average let me ask you real quick Albert Pujols a complete hitter like Paul Goldschmidt so Ozuna I felt like all spring okay he's not coming back now I want him back what what do you think well it's May I know but let's talk about just possibilities what are your thoughts on him being a long-term Cardinal or is that even Boris guy right so yeah it's going to be probably not done I mean if he if he comes back I would imagine it's because he accepts the qualifying offer that's it. Is that there's right. no long term? Well, what, I, I was let, just me, let me ask you this: Why, why would you? You have Jose Martinez. Is, would you like to have him in left field next year? Well, if I can have Ozuna and Martinez, right? Well, where does Bader play? I can have him as a fourth outfielder. He can. He can definitely. Uh, I'd also like Tommy Pham out there too. If we're gonna go, sure. I mean, you might like Dylan Carlson and out Luke there. Luke Voigt. He might. Well, he's not gonna be out there. 
would you would you rather have Luke Voigt than Paul Goldschmidt? No, not right now. I mean, there's a Can lot of third base, but there's a lot of revisionist history out there. Uh, you, I, Matt, know. I mean, Matt Carpenter. I know. I'm not you, doing this. I, is the thing. Like you guys put me in a spot where it's like I have to defend you guys. the baseball cards, and then fans go, "Oh, he's just an organ of the team." No, I'm just combating like these assertions thrown at me. I just me. like throw. I, I know that you hate this stuff. That's yeah. right. Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill. These guys are on the depth chart. Dylan Carlson was very impressive this spring, and oh yeah, he's off to an impressive start in, in Springfield. Yes, it's May, so keep that in mind. And he's one of the youngest guys in the Texas League. And by the end of the season, he probably won't be the youngest guy in the Texas League because Nolan Gorman will be in the Texas League, and he'll be the youngest guy in the, in the Texas League. And they'll both wear the same jersey unless Dylan Carlson is in Memphis. But but Dylan Carlson is rising and rapidly and is impressive. And, you know, the, the, there's a spot for him if you open that up and you create competition and you go, all right, well, let's see. Um you know, there is a reality here that as good as the Cardinals' pitching depth is, let me let me run this scenario by you. They're going to have to probably add a starter and benefit from that. They want to they want to push ahead, maybe run away with this division. The most transformative move that this 2019 team could make is by adding a starter. Yeah, um, Noah Syndergaard. Okay, or a starter that's available. Um, <laughs> You know, they can't Jedi mind trick uh, the Mets into giving up Noah Syndergaard. But but there could be a really good starter available. And then do you want to keep that starter beyond this year? Do you want to go off and maybe sign a starter who's available? I mean, you, you have some flexibility there that, yeah, doesn't preclude Ozuna from coming back. It just changes what the offer is. Um, I just want to, like, add to it that, like, one of the things about this team that adds to its how complete it is, yes, is depth. Um, it's definitely Paul Goldschmidt, who is um, an addition that helps the defense, improves the base running, and changes the lineup. But I also want to point out that it's Paul DeYoung. It's the two Pauls. They're, they're the most complete Pauls probably in baseball. Uh, Paul DeYoung's play at shortstop and what he's brought to the number three spot in the lineup is a huge part of how this team looks. And when you think about, like, wow, how – what it's capable of doing, um, it's it, it, an, an engine of progress is how well he's played. I agree, I, and I I'm just asking, just seeing if you think those yeah. interview. He can play left field too. Paul DeYoung, sure. Yeah, I like him, and I would like to see him play. So could Matt Carpenter, by the way. If any of these third basemen work out, you know? what is going to have? I think at some point people say, "Well, what are you going to do?" And you'll just figure that out. Yeah, you have him at DH. Yeah, there. That's that's a possibility. I like the DH by myself. I'm at the point now where the pitchers don't bunt anyway. They only bunt, so who, who needs? Uh, so we talked about the book at the beginning. Um, I'm going to close with the book, uh, 100 Things You Should Do or Know About the Cardinals. Uh, where can you get it? And tell me, uh, so, I mean, in the book, there's stories about Stan and Willie and then things around the stadium and, and going to Wrigley and, um, like, little events just, you know, getting a I – th- I thought there was something about um, – Getting a soda and a free straw, maybe in there. No, that's no, that's the other guy. <laughs> Sorry, that's okay. Ben Fredrickson, right? No, that's <laughs> no, the, the other, other, other Ben. Benjamin. No, but you have all stories from from the twenties, the thirties to now, and things you should do. Uh, tell us where you should get it, and tell us just kind of a, a you know, a, a bite size of of you know what 
you think Cardinal fans would love about in there? I think, well, you can get it anywhere books are sold on Amazon.com. Usually you get it for a discount there. It's available at all the independent bookstores around St. Louis and Barnes & Noble. Um, May 15th, I'll be doing an appearance. Um, that's a Wednesday. Um, at Left Bank Books in the Central West End. So we'll talk baseball there. I'll sign some books. Um, but, uh, you know, they've been, they've been great, very supportive there, Left Bank Books. And, bunch of, and like I said, some of the other independent booksellers have carried it, which is cool. I, I, like, I like those. I visit those places a lot. I like to find them on the road. And it's cool to see, you know, your book on the shelf there. So um, I get a thrill out of that. Um, you know, I, I think I really tried to capture... Um, <clears throat> not just, not just like you know trivia. Like, uh, there's there's trivial things in there. There's things that if you want to read, um, you can impress the the other folks at the bar with some background knowledge or use it as a resource and look up some things about cardinal history. But I, I really wanted to provide just like not only you know that, um, but sort of the context, background, um, color. Um, you know, get to know the personalities as well as the places. Get to know the moments as well as why they happen. Um, get to know the, the the legends and whether or not they're true. Um, you know, things like that. I, I, I really tried to set forth um, and write a book that was an homage to the fan base that has supported the team that for a vast majority of its history was the farthest team west and the farthest team south and had the greatest reach of any team in baseball and has more championships than any other team in the National League. Um, and to write a book that put you know the Cardinals in that space of baseball royalty alongside their fans and their history. Oh, that was the goal. I have one. I would have bought one, but you gave me one, so I can't wait to, to uh, put it on my coffee table. Nope, bathroom read. Is that what it is? Yeah, I, I do a lot of plane travel, too, and this one fits right in the oh, back. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, That's a paperback, so that's good. I appreciate your time. Derek, this is you fun. You don't have to read it in order. And I'm there are that. Easter eggs throughout it, you know, let so. Me, let me just real quick. Let me see what that. Hold on. I want to see what that chapter was that I was talking about because I did sample it. Let me see here. You know, Slaughter 9, of course, King Albert 5, or, or around attend opening day in St. Louis. Okay. Salsa. So these are some of the chapters. Toss a seat cushion. I think a seat cushion was like twice. Twice. 87 and 06. It happened twice. It Only happened world twice. Cha- championship years they give out seat cushions. Why Why would they not give them out more? It just it means a champion. fate. <laughs> Karma. And, and, of course, we can hear you on podcast, uh, Best Fans in Baseball. Best, best Podcasts in Baseball. Best Podcast Fans in Baseball. Best Podcast. But the Post Dispatch is, you know, like – might want to say that. Do you read? You still write there? Okay. I do. I thought you were more of a multimedia journalist. But yes, of course, no, no, no. stltoday.com. Of course, buy the paper, support the paper, get it on Sundays. There's always great base, but you do a lot of work on your Sunday stuff. And I that's do. what I really enjoy is that deep nice. stuff. Um, just tell us a little bit of anything else I should add because I know, like I said, you are a multi, you got books, you're doing podcasts, you're doing radio shows, and you're the head beat writer cardinal baseball anything else that i missed um this week is mother's day so i'm hoping to write a story that rises to the occasion that's that's the goal i'm i'm uh, i've had some uh had some chances for some really good interviews and uh you know just trying to capture um something that i've been thinking about since spring training um and it ties to mother's day and i hope i do it justice that's that's the goal today uh, good ju- good luck i'll be reading it i'm Thanks. sure everybody else will 
Appreciate your time, Derek Gould, here on Here's the Pitch, presented by Masses Restaurants, five locations in St. Louis. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you next time.